Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Good morning, Bethlehem Covenant Church. Thanks for joining us here on this November 12th. I hope you are having a wonderful day. Um, We have a lot going on in the life of the church these days. We are collecting uh, the Christmas shoeboxes right now for kids all over the world um, to be able to have a Christmas gift. If you want to contribute to that, we have boxes here at the church. You can fill them up for a boy or a girl at a particular age. Get them back to us by this Wednesday, and then we will get them to the to the organization Samaritan's Purse, which will send them out all over the world. We also have a quilt auction going right now. 20 different quilts that were made by our quilting ladies, and they, they're beautiful, they're wonderful. They're online there. You can see it on our Facebook page or that if you want to click on that and make a, a bid on one of those quilts. Uh, all that money goes to helping different mission and charitable organizations around town. It's their way to serve and give, and we're very thankful for them. And then we also have Thanksgiving coming up soon. And so we have a Thanksgiving service in the evening next Sunday, the 19th, at 7 p.m. at our church downstairs around the tables. We do it every year. We have four different people who are going to share testimonies of things that God has been teaching them and that they've been very thankful for over this last year. We have some special music. We have some scripture, some prayer. We have communion together around the tables. And then we also get to share some desserts, some nice pies and and cakes and things uh, made by different people. It's a fun evening. Come on out to it if you have time. It's a great chance to be together. And then uh, the following or so week, we begin Advent, and we're into the Christmas season. And boy, lots of neat things that will be happening during the Christmas season this year um, as we get closer and closer to that time of celebrating the birth of our Savior. I hope you are are doing well, and uh, again, we pray for you. If you ever have any specific prayer requests that you would like us to pray for you on, um, please don't hesitate to call me, text me, email us at the church, and we will pray uh, for those things. If you ever want to meet or need someone to talk to, I'm here for you as well. You can call, and I would love to do that. All right, we're continuing on in our sermon series now, uh, The People of God. We have a couple more weeks uh, from this series. This morning, I want to read for us three short scriptures that um, all use the same metaphor for life, and that is the metaphor of running a good race, living a good life, and finishing well. I have uh, the privilege of living next to a cemetery out here on 98th Street, and and I like walking over to the cemetery from time to time. It really does give me a good perspective on things. On each tombstone, there is a name and a date of when that person was born, and then there is another uh, date of when that person died. And in between those two dates is a dash. It's just a dash. But that dash represents a life. Whether it was six months or 96 years, it's all in that dash. If we were able to zoom in on that dash, we would see the life that that person um, had when God created them and the time they lived on earth and all their experiences from birth and learning to walk and talk and even talk back, (laughs) uh, their time at school, the job that they 
they had when they were living, the people that they loved, who loved them back, the hobbies they enjoyed, the impact they made or didn't make with the time they'd been given. Some served in war, others church, some became moms and dads, others teachers and nurses, some grew things, others built things. It's all in that dash. It's how they chose to live their life with the time they were given. Some traveled, some stayed put. Some had faith, others didn't. It's all in the dash. I think about my life, my, my dash, my race. <laughs> it's, it's not over yet, um, but it has begun. It began the day I was born in Chicago. 1975, when I was only five years old, my dad's work moved us to Colorado Springs, to 5145 Escaparta Way. And that was the address of where I grew up. I, a lot happened in that house. My parents still live in that house there um, where I grew up. This is the place where I met Scott and John and Brad and other childhood friends who who lived in my neighborhood. We aren't friends today, but back then, boy, they were, they were everything that mattered. We, we hung out every day together, playing ball or Nintendo or trading cards. Uh, our home at 5145 was only two miles away from where we found a church, Faith Covenant. That, too, was a very important place in my growing up. Every week we went there twice. It was where I came to learn more about Jesus and where I found a place to fit in and went to Sunday school and youth group and learned about camp and had a youth pastor named Todd who mentored me in ministry and, and I did a church internship in that place. All within those walls and those people. It's where I met Lucas and Aaron and decided to go off to North Park College and that's where I discovered more about my gifts and where God wanted me and what job I would do. And that's where I met Carrie and God took us to Canada and gave us two kids and, and then led us down here to Nebraska. All of these things are in my dash. It's all part of the unique race that's been marked out for me. And I could zoom in further on the experiences that shape me or the lessons that have taught me or the people or the places that have meant so much to me along the way. It's all part of my dash, the race marked out for me. And my race is different from your race. But the Lord is the same of both of our lives and he's leading us. And he has a purpose and a plan and a path marked out just for you. So we find this truth in the many Bible verses and, uh, that we see throughout Scripture. This illustration, this metaphor of life being a journey or a race, and we're each called to run a good race, to live a meaningful life in Christ. And that's what I want us to think about today. Your race, your dash. I want to read three short verses for you, and then I've got just four takeaways for you to think about in your week. The first verse is from Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition that you won't grow weary and lose heart in your race. The second verse I want to read is from 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 24. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And then the final verse that I would have us read is from 2 Timothy 4. And it's uh, beginning in verse 6. It says this, Paul is saying it. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only me, but all those who have longed for his appearing. So these scriptures, I think, teach us a little bit about how we're to look at our life and how we're to run a good race the time that we have been given. The first thing I think we learn here is from the Hebrews passage in Hebrews 12. And that is to recognize that our life is a part of a bigger story connected even to those who have come before us. This is a very important perspective that the race that we run you could say is more like a relay race than our own separate thing. Even though we are individuals, we're not our own separate life. We are part of families and communities, and we're part of a people who have poured into us, and we also belong to the eternal people of God, who throughout history have paved the way and shown us the way, passed down things to us. And our life is very much connected to those who have gone before. Look at what it says in Hebrews 12.1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, surrounded. It's an illustration that the people in the Bible times would have understood. For in Bible times, they had the Olympics and the marathon races all over Greece and Rome. And the main athletes of that day were not football or baseball stars, but runners. And every major city had these great coliseums and arenas that were round. And they were filled with people in the stands that literally surrounded them and cheered these athletes on to the finish line. Well, Hebrews 12 uses that illustration to talk about your life. Saying, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it's the image of all of heaven cheering us on. 
And the word therefore is referring back to the previous chapter, where in Hebrews 11, it lists verse after verse of the people of faith who have gone before us, who have already lived their life in their time and are witnesses of God's faithfulness, and now they're in the stands of heaven. They're cheering us on in our journey. It mentions Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and Rahab and Esther and Gideon and David and Samuel and Daniel and the prophets. It's the idea that, that all the stands are full of the people of faith who have gone before us. And we now are on the track, running our race in our time. The baton has been passed to us now, and it's our time. And they're cheering us on. And again, the race that we run is more of a relay race than our own separate disconnected race. The baton has been passed to us from them. It is our time to run our leg of the race. And after us, it'll be somebody else's time to run their race. And we will join in with the others in the crowd to cheer them on. This is how the Bible is asking us to look down upon our life as part of something bigger than just us. Can you see your life in the bigger picture of God and the plans that he has and what he is doing in the world? We are connected to our grandmas and grandpas who believed in Christ and prayed for us and poured into us. That's why we believe. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy that the faith that first lived in your grandma and your mom now lives in you. It's been passed down to you, Timothy. <laughs> We're connected to our grandparents and their grandmas and grandpas who did the same for them. We're connected to the people of this country, this past, who, who planted churches and read their Bibles all the way back to the Christian reformers of the 1500s who fought for Scripture to be put into everybody's hand, and to the missionaries who went out all over Europe and Africa and Asia with the gospel, all the way back to the very first Gentiles who came to faith at Cornelius' house in Acts 10, back even further to those first 12 disciples who chose to follow Jesus and became eyewitnesses of his death and resurrection and were filled with the Holy Spirit. My point is simply this. Can you see your life is not just here and now and just about you fulfilling your own desires, but your life and mine is deeply connected to God and his plans for all of creation and the great cloud of witnesses that has come before us. The writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage the people of his time who were going through many difficult things and were maybe even ready to pull out of the race. He wanted to encourage them to keep running, to persevere like a marathon runner on mile 23 who looks over and sees the cheers of his family and friends and he finds the strength to run the final three miles. The Bible is saying, can you hear them? The stands are full of those who have gone before. And their lives and stories and testimonies of, of standing before lions and marching around walls and being put into prison for their faith, all to spread the word down to you. Their story should encourage us to keep running our race and remind us that God is faithful and the same. Our race is part of a bigger thing. It's a more of a relay race, a whole team reaching the finish line than just an individual accomplishment. 
The stands are full. You're being cheered on. The older I get, man, the more this truth really means something to me. It's about the kingdom of God. And so many have poured into my life, and I hope to pour into theirs and, and others. And, and one day I will die, and the generations after me may not know my name or, or my parents' name or my grandparents' names, but they poured into me and I pour into them. The race we run is bigger than just us. It's like this church. It's been around 140 years, but it, it, it didn't just pop up yesterday or with us. Today we're here in this place that was built by others who are gone now, but they once sat where we sit. And they were once middle school kids in confirmation taught by somebody. And they were once the Sunday school teachers who, who were taught or, or went to VBS or the worship leaders. They, they ran their race. The baton passed to them, now to us. And, you know, I even think about recently this past year how Leo Hernandez and Earlene Warner and Carolyn Babcock and so many others who have just recently joined that great cloud of witnesses from among us. Can we picture them cheering us on, encouraging us forward? We're connected. Every life influences so many others. I love the scene in Dead Poet Society where the teacher is trying to encourage his students to think deeper about their life and making it count. And he, he reads from them a po for them a poem by Walt Whitman where it says of life that the powerful play goes on and we might contribute a verse. What will your verse be? He's trying to inspire them to think about their life and the gift that it is and what they might contribute to the greater story that is being written. That poem, just like Hebrews, is saying that there is a story that has been written in all of history. It started long before you, will go on after you. There is a race that is being run, and it began before you. The baton has now just been handed to you. But there's a great cloud of witnesses in heaven that is cheering you on. And I don't know if Walt Whitman believed in God, but I know the Bible tells us that this powerful play is God's story, and he's been writing it from the beginning of time time and our life is not ours alone but all part of him who made us hebrews says the race is marked out for us in other words he has set the course before us he's marked it our part to play our verse it's bigger than more than just us we all come to see our life is part of a bigger story a bigger race Second thing that we learn, though, in these verses of a, how to run a good race, we're encouraged in Hebrews 12.1 to throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. What is hindering you from living the life God has set for you? You know, I think first here of the example of David. When he was being called to fight Goliath, he went to King Saul and Saul put his armor on the boy. Saul thought that if you're going to fight against this giant, you're going to need armor. So he fitted David with the king's armor. But David was just a boy. And Saul's armor didn't fit. It was too big and too heavy. And, and David could barely walk around in it or even lift Saul's sword. It wasn't for him. It didn't help David fight a good fight. It only hindered him because his way 
was not King Saul's way. Someone else's life and calling is not yours. God has uniquely called you to certain things. You trying to be somebody else isn't going to work. David had to drop the armor, put down the sword, and pick up the slingshot to go before Goliath in faith. There are many things that can hinder us from running a good race. There can be sin that trips us up. I think of the guy who can't stop drinking, and it's destroying his life, his marriage, his family, his witness. I think of the hidden porn addiction, or the guy who has so much pride, or unresolved anger, and he won't get help. He won't listen to anyone, and every good thing he tries to do, he wrecks. I think of the busy people everywhere who have no time left for God, whose lives are, are filled from the start to the finish every day with things that this world tells them are so important. And they keep running, but after the wrong things. On the outside, they look successful and happy, but on the inside, everything is falling apart. Their walk with God is suffering. Their debt is mounting. Their marriage is failing. Their kids are doing lots of stuff, but not growing into men and women of God. This verse says, throw off all of it. Throw off everything that's hindering you right now and the sin that's entangling you. Sometimes it's the music we listen to or the friends we hang out with that just aren't good for us. Sometimes it's laziness. Sometimes it's the past that keeps holding us back from moving forward. Hebrews 12.1 says, Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and live fully for Christ. Whatever it is that is competing for your heart or taking you down the wrong path, let it go today. If it isn't advancing his kingdom, if it isn't helping you love better, or serve greater, or know and obey God more, then let it go so that you can fully run a race unhindered. The Bible says, be holy as he is holy. I think of the rich young ruler. The Bible tells us he came to Jesus one day and he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus talked about the commandments and, and the man said, I've done all of these since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and it says he loved him. And he said, one thing you still lacked. Sell everything you have, give your money to the poor and come follow me. Man, Jesus knows us. He knows our heart. He knows what rules our lives. He knows what truly masters us and enslaves us. That which we think we can't live without or that which we think is good for us when really it is hindering us. Jesus could see into the heart of this man and what held him back. It was the love of money and the prestige of power. Jesus was telling him how to be free. He was telling him what he needed to do to truly find life with God. But the rich young ruler couldn't do it. So he walks away sad because he couldn't let go of his stuff. He loved it too much. Jesus knows what's hindering us. 
He knows what holds us back from fully trusting in God and living for the Lord and making a true difference with our life. He knows it. And if you pray and ask him, he will show you what to do. And if you trust him and lay it all down, surrender everything to Jesus, you will begin to feel the weight lifted and experience an unhindered life for Christ. Dwight Moody, the preacher from Chicago who led more to Christ than any other in the early 20th century, he said when he was a teenager, he heard an evangelist say, the world is yet to see what God can do with a man that is totally yielded to him. Moody said that very night he went home captivated by the thought and he prayed by his bed asking that by the grace of God he might be that man. Hebrews says, throw off everything that hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles you and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I tell you, from time to time I get tangled up in sin. Worry can be sin and it can possibly be my greatest one. I can create an anxious presence instead of one full of love and faith. I can worry about this and that uh, that I can't control and I can try to take control of it instead of trusting God and it leads to more problems. Worry leads to fear and often from past hurts of trying to avoid being hurt again and, and that can lead to anger and frustration and then saying words and, and the very things we try to avoid we end up becoming. Jesus said the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And loving God and trusting in him with your heart and, and others and loving God is worshiping him, it's obedience, it's serving, and loving others is patience, it's kindness, it's forgiveness. So I ask you, what's hindering you right now from loving God with all your heart? from loving the people around you? What sins keep entangling and tripping you up, making a mess of things? Repent and ask God in his grace to help you run a better race, live a better life, loving him and others better. The third thing we learn here about running a good grace is what it, race is what it says in 1 Corinthians 9. It says, run in such a way as to get the prize. In other words, run to win not just to cross the finish line. This scripture is talking about effort and what we put in. It's talking about showing up. It's talking about zeal for the Lord. It's talking about having some discipline, working for something that really matters and training hard for it. Our Bible verse says those who compete in the games, they go into strict training for a crown that won't last. But we run for a crown that will last forever. So he says, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. I got to have focus, discipline. I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I won't be disqualified. What he's talking about here is the athlete who won't eat sweets when everybody else is. He won't go to McDonald's or drink pop or beer or go out late with the guys because he, he's got a game the next day and he wants to be in his best mental and physical shape for it. He disciplines himself because he really wants to win. He wants to do well. He wants to excel. Paul is saying, be like that guy with your spiritual life. 
Train, discipline, grow, set goals in your walk with God. Don't run aimlessly. Have a plan. Be focused. Run to win. Be so disciplined that you'll turn off the movie that's filling your head with lustful thoughts because you know it isn't pleasing to the Lord or helpful to you. Resist the temptations that promise pleasure now but pain later. Be mindful of the compromises you're making at work when, when, that make it so you can't go to worship or lead your family well. Reconsider those things. Make sacrifices like the athlete who would make them by getting up early. But for you, get up early and get into the Word. Stay up late and, and study. Search for the best ways to be a better witness. Get to know the people of faith around you and learn from them. Let them coach you. Be focused as growing on a leader in, as a leader in your church or knowing more about Christ or developing the gifts that you got to serve Him. Run your race like you want to win. This is what Paul is saying. Put in the effort. At least as much as the guy who goes into training for an earthly crown. Back in those days, runners in the Olympics got a crown of a perishable wreath. It was literally just a fig branch placed on their head. They also got money and fame, but, but like the wreath, all of it faded. Their money ran out, their fame lasted only until the next race, when a different guy won, and when their body began to age, and for nothing in this life is forever. Paul is saying your faith in Christ, however, is forever. What you do for Christ endures forever. It's worth a crown that is eternal. And so shouldn't we Christians put the same and even greater effort into growing up our kids in Christ and running a good race ourselves and developing our gifts and serving the Lord, going into the Word and growing stronger minds and a better character, going further in mission, shouldn't our effort in these matters of faith get as much time as attention as practicing free throws? How many hours do we do that compared to what we spend in the Word? Shouldn't we as a family be pouring into our kids' lives spiritually as much as we're pouring into them academically and athletically? Because if they win the championship or get that great job that makes lots of money, but they lose their soul in the process, then what does it matter? Jesus said, don't spend your life building up treasures on earth, but treasure in heaven. Paul is saying, run in order to get the better prize, the better crown. And then last point I'm going to make. To run a good race, the Bible teaches us we got to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Another translation says the beginning and the end of our faith are everything. In our life, we're not running by ourselves. We've got the great cloud of witnesses and we have Jesus who runs along with us and ahead of us saying, follow me. The Lord shows us the way. In Hebrews, the writer is saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. Remember him who for the joy set before him endured the cross and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition that you don't grow weary or lose heart. Jesus inspires us in our life to keep running when we want to give up. His life and the cross and his love for us in this world reminds us it's all worth it. The race we run, we run for him and with him. He's the beginning and the end of our everything. 
He was there when we first came to believe, and he'll be there when we die, welcoming us into heaven. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. The life we have, we have because of him. The life we live, we live for him. Every day is a challenge where if we want to run well, we have to learn to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the only one who can give us life. The only one who knows the way. The only hope for us or this world is Jesus. When we look to him, we find peace again. In our weariness, we find strength to keep going. In our discouragement, we don't lose heart. If our eyes get off of Jesus and begin to lust after things of this world, we're going to go down wrong paths. If our eyes get off of Jesus and onto those waves, we'll start to lose faith and start to sink. If our eyes get off of Jesus and begin to focus too much on the problems in this world or the people who have wronged us or even too much on ourselves, we will lose our way. But if we keep our eyes stayed on Jesus, we will find the strength to get up and keep running the good race all the way to the finish line. My favorite Bible verse since I was a boy has been Isaiah 40, 29 to 31. It says, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and no longer faint. The race we run, we run with him and for him. The life we live, we live with him and for him, as he for us. Where are your eyes these days? Are they fixed on Jesus or something else that you want? Something else you're mostly thinking about that's got you distracted? Or your fears or your struggles? Paul encourages us to stop, refocus, to put our eyes back on Jesus that our path may again come into view. Right before his death, Paul wrote 2 Timothy, where he ended by saying, I've been poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure has come, but I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, where the Lord himself will award me on that day. And not just me, but all of us who have longed for his appearing. At that finish line someday, we will see Jesus face to face and he will place a crown upon our head. But perhaps more than ever on that day, we will realize we didn't arrive there by ourselves. This wasn't our accomplishment. We will lay our crown down because we realize our whole life and faith and everything we did that mattered was all because of him. He did it. He never left our side. He's the one who secured for us a righteousness. He's the one who gave us the gifts and the opportunities to serve. He's the one who encouraged us. He was there every step of the race. From the beginning of our faith as a child, all the way through the tough stuff, every time we lost our way, he kept pulling us back. Every time we got knocked down, he kept lifting us up. It was him every day with us. He got us to the finish line. So the crown that he places on our head, we give back to him. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's information and events, 
head to bccwaverly.org.